0: the average medical student graduates with nearly $200,000 in student loan debt. Can you relate? Well, let's see if we can help you out.
1: Welcome to the Financial Residency Podcast, where we are devoted exclusively to the financial well-being of physicians and helping you achieve the financial freedom you deserve. This is your financial residency without the long hours and sleepless nights. Let's welcome your host and primary care physician for your finances, Ryan
0: Inman. Welcome back, everyone. Super excited. We're going to be doing another episode all about student loan debt. As you guys know, the month of March, I really dedicated to writing and podcasting all about student loan debt. I know there's a ton of information out there. Some of it's conflicting. Some of it's extremely hard to understand. And so I'm doing my best to consolidate everything here this month and talk about public service loan forgiveness, IBR or the income-based repayments and what is available to you. And if you're, you know, in the federal program and if you're going to need to refinance, uh, what does that look like? What are some of the good companies out there? What are they offering? What are variable and fixed rates? Who should be using them? What do all those kind of terminology things mean? So I'm really hoping to consolidate and really help you guys understand the type of debt that you have, what kind of repayment plan that you need to have put in place, and hopefully something that can really help you guys take a hold of your financial future. So today we're going to be doing a curbside consult, but a little bit differently. I've brought in Robert Farrington from the Collegeinvestor.com, who's running the student loan debt movement that I'd spoke about last episode and also throughout the blog, Basically, him and I are going to be going through and answering your questions. And there's a ton of great content. Uh, We go back and forth with what we think is best for these five listeners. But I think you guys are really going to be able to relate to these as they're really covering a broad spectrum around student loan debt and what you should be doing, whether it's with public service loan forgiveness, refinancing, other different forgiveness options, or just you're in residency and you don't know what to do. So, Without further ado, let's let's jump right in the show and answer your questions. Robert, thanks so much for being on the show. Really excited to jump into answering some of these really great student loan questions that we have. But before we do, would you mind telling everyone a little bit about the student loan debt movement that you have going on over at the collegeinvestor.com?
2: Yeah, thanks so much for having me on the show. I am super excited to be here, and I'm super excited about the student loan debt movement. I started this with the goal of seeing if we could work together as a financial community to pay down, reduce, or eliminate a million dollars or more in student loan debt during the month of March. The reason I wanted to do this is because, as you know and your listeners know, student loan debt... Is uh, really stressful, really like financially challenging, and the options to deal with it are not easy to always figure out. I mean, there are so many different programs and repayment plans and student loan forgiveness options and refi and just all these different things you can do. It can be overwhelming. So, what I wanted to do was create a like simple, streamlined place where you could get the education you need to figure out the right path for your own student loan debt situation. But at the same time, I wanted to provide some motivation so that you would actually take action on your student loans this month. And that's what the student loan debt movement is all about, is learning what you should do and then actually moving in the right direction to take action. And that's why we're giving away, we're doing weekly giveaways. We have a leaderboard where people can share how much debt they've eliminated this month. And that's going to have a $3,000 prize. Uh, You know, we're going to dole it out to a few people on the leaderboard and Uh, it's really just exciting to see the momentum that people are building around getting rid of their student loans. That's awesome. I I can hear the passion in your voice. I know how excited you are. Obviously,
0: you know, student loan debt is, is really important to me, not only do all my clients pretty much have student loan debt, but you know it's really personal. My wife and I had student debt. Uh, we just crushed all of our, our student debt last year, which was a huge, huge milestone, kind of like the net worth positive milestone that uh, physicians go through. That was another big one for us. So you guys can easily tell why I had Robert on the show. We're going to jump into your guys' questions, and let's start with the first question.
3: Hello, Ryan. This is uh, Vivek Angadi. I had a couple of student loan questions I thought you might be able to answer. One, what are your tips to help your clients commit to paying off their loans? Uh, The second one is, with all these private student loan refinancing companies, uh, some offer variable rates and fixed rates. So I'd you know, I'd like to hear your comments on that and in which situation should you use a fixed and which you should use a variable rate loan. And the last one, you know, for multiple loans, I guess this is a little bit more of a philosophical financial question. What are your thoughts on the debt snowball or um, versus the debt avalanche? So for those who don't know, the debt snowball is where you pay down the smallest balance to the largest balance of the student loans. And the debt avalanche is basically you, you pay the highest interest rate loan first and then work your way down with the balances with the lower interest rates. All right. Looking forward to hearing your answers, Ryan. Have a good one.
0: Vivek, thank you so much for your question. I know it's a three-parter. I love the enthusiasm you have here. So a couple things. One is just an easy, easy tip off the top of my head here is to have clients commit to a plan. It's something where if you start down one road, let's say public service loan forgiveness, and you divert, you know, six, seven years in, you've really kind of hurt yourself. And it's something that my wife and I ended up doing. We thought, hey, you know what, we're gonna go for for public student loan forgiveness. And, you know, about five years in, four and a half, five years in, we decided, hey, we don't wanna be tied to the area that we live in. We more than likely are gonna be moving back to Las Vegas. And there's not really any opportunities for her to work and still work for 501c3 and still have those qualified payments. So it ended up being that uh, we switched halfway through. What ended up happening is we ended up taking out about $125,000 in debt. Uh, My wife basically lived at home. She went to an in-state tuition at at KU. And by the time we refinanced, it was $180,000 or just under that, because we were making income-based repayments. And the amount that we were paying didn't even cover the debt service load on, on the normal payment. So interest was accruing interest and, and all that. So easiest tip is, is when you decide you're going to do something, actually stick to it, stick to that debt payment plan that you have pushed together. The question that you have around variable versus fixed rates. So I really don't like variable rates, especially in this low interest rate environment, knowing that you can get a fixed rate, you know, that is pretty low right now. Probably around 5% or just under, unless you're at like First Republic, then it's like sub 3%. They have amazing rates. I would only recommend a variable rate to someone who knows that they're going to pay down for sure their loans within five years. If you don't know if you're going to do that, or if you don't have a ton of disposable income that you know, like, hey, I can just crush this debt whenever I want in the next few years, then I'd be looking more at a fixed rate. And for fixed rates, I would not be taking anything longer than a 10 year note, I think that most physicians, even lower paying specialties like my wife and peds can still crush their student debt within 10 years if you're diligent and you're committed to the, the process. If you're going to refinance and you mentioned the, the debt snowball or the debt avalanche methods, I'm really not a fan of the debt snowball method, just taking the, the smallest balance and regardless of interest rate, paying it down. I know dave ramsey and and other people are huge proponents of this and and love it. I more look at it mathematically. I know that there's a an emotional attachment to this where it's like okay one 's down, I got seven to go, and you know you're kind of just chipping along, but mathematically, I look at it and say, "Hey, you know the debt avalanche method basically takes the highest interest rate and says i 'm going to crush this one first because it 's costing me the most money, and as I work my way down my interest rates i'll be you know paying them off now hopefully you're biggest debt isn't at also the highest interest rate. But if it is, this is, would be the method I would prefer to use is if you're going to target one to target the highest interest rate, the one that costs you the most money and start chipping away as much as you can at that one before working at your lowest interest rate loans. So Robert, I'd love to hear what you have to say about Vivek's three-part question.
2: Dude, I I can't believe we're so aligned on some of this stuff. It's great. I could tell that we're like uh, coming from the same place. But I would tell you, first off, my number one tip, even before planning, is simply getting organized. I can't tell you, and you know, maybe your audience is just like super organized, and I love it if they are. But I come across so many, you know, individuals and families that simply don't even have a great organization system for their money in place first. And that includes student loan debt, but also basic budgeting, you know, what's coming in, what's coming out every single month. And I think that's the, the biggest starting point for me and what I advise people to. And there's so many free tools out there, whether you like Mint or personal capital or if you're like an Excel spreadsheet or you know Google Sheets kind of person, like whatever you prefer. I just think no matter what you want to do, it's so important to get organized first before you can dive in and actually make rational decisions when you come to your student loan debt. I mean, what do you think, Ryan? Is like are you seeing a lot of your clients are already organized when they're calling you up? Or you think organization is a good starting place? It, you know,
0: it, it really depends. I have probably one client that I'm the most proud of that he's legit more organized than anyone I've ever met. And he's an engineer. Nice. Uh, And his wife is a physician. So it kind of makes sense to fit the stereotype, if you will. But for the most part, most people come to me and they've got some stuff, but, you know, they also have, you know, some stuff organized. And then they have some other things like their, you know, insurance policies that were sold to them. They don't really know what it is. And it's still in the plastic little envelope and it just sits in (laughs) your desk. So like they know where it is, but they, you know, never want to touch it or look at it. It really is in between. But I'm going to say that my listeners after 20 some odd episodes are getting more organized every week.
2: I love it. Cause yeah, that's, and if that's where it starts for me is you got to get organized and you definitely have to plan. You're totally right. Like it can really cost you if you make a plan and then change that plan or you don't make a plan, you kind of wing it for a few years and then you got a reverse course like, like you experienced, right? So you Mm -hmm. saw your student loan debt balloon up and then you're refining 180 when you could have had a, what was 130? I think you said Mm -hmm. Uh, it's definitely important to plan. When it comes to variable rate or fixed rate loans, I'm with you. It's really about the term. So I actually am more favorable towards variable rates. I've run the math quite a few times because the real risk with variable rate loans is if the interest rate jumps substantially in the first one to two years of the loan. And you're right, we are at historical loan rates right now. But when I say jump significantly, I'm talking like a one to two percentage point jump in the base rate. You have to ask yourself, I mean, that's a risk, right? You're taking this gamble. And is it going to jump 1% to 2% in the first couple of years? I don't see it necessarily happening. Now, we're in a different period of time than we were a couple years ago. So like I said, though, it also depends on that term. So I think if you are getting a 5 to 10-year refi, I think you're going to be safer with a variable rate loan. But if you're going to go any longer than that, one, I don't know if you should. I think, you, like you said, your listeners, if you're going to be a high-earning um, physician here in a couple of years you know i don't think you need to take that much because you're also going to pay a much higher interest rate the longer the loan term you get the higher the interest rate you're going to get on both a variable rate and a fixed rate loan so uh really focus on that loan term but i think if you're going to do like a 5 year term i think taking advantage of the low interest rates today will most likely save you on interest over the life of the loan most of the time but it's a risk right like you're you're getting that low rate because you are taking on more risk in that situation I and mean, then, just like you, I am an avalanche guy. I'm a math guy. I like uh, going after the highest interest rate first. But I've also learned that you know not everyone is like you and I, and focusing on the math. Like mm-hmm. sometimes it's the psychology. So the snowball, you know, as much as it doesn't always mathematically make sense, it's not detrimental mathematically. Typically, you're gonna pay a few thousand dollars more in interest rate when you put the two side by side. But the snowball can be much better psychologically in terms. Of of getting quick wins for you so that you can start building that snowball and tackling the debt out over time so i'm an avalanche guy personally but there's definitely people that value the snowball and it can make a lot of sense
0: yeah and i think you touched on something really great there and it's more like the behavioral finance side of things you know looking at this debt snowball approach look at it if you're paying down debt I don't care which method you use, like, good job. Keep paying it down, pay more than you can, you know, more than the minimums, I should say, and keep crushing the debt. That ultimately is the goal. It doesn't matter what acronym or what style you use, as long as you're doing <laughs> right. it, right? But if, Totally. But if there's, you know, if we're looking at it from a mathematical standpoint, avalanche is better than snowball in theory here. But jumping on the, the variable and fixed rate convo really quick is it's the same kind of behavioral finance side. If you have a variable loan, but it's, you know, extend it out to 10 years. Yeah. Mathematically, you might come out ahead, but if you're just making the minimums and you want to extend it out, I always go back and forth that it's like, you need to have the discipline to make sure that you're paying extra into that. If that's why you're getting the variable rate. And it's the same thing with the, the snowball and avalanche. Like, yeah, you can crush the smallest balance and get that quick win. But if you don't stick to it and you don't continue getting those wins, then it ends up costing you more money.
2: Yeah, and you know, the one thing I'd say too is what I've seen with uh, Snowball versus Avalanche and stuff when it comes to student loans is a lot of times this works well when you don't consolidate your loans and you have like maybe five or six or maybe Mm -hmm. even more individual student loans. But once you consolidate and you're at one loan, it's kind of moot unless you're also dealing with consumer debt. (laughs) And then at that point,
0: funnel everything you can into consumer debt, make the minimum on your student loan debt because the balance is probably significantly interested. You know, we're talking maybe 5% versus 22%. It's going to be pretty obvious there. So, all right, let's jump into our next question.
3: Hey Ryan, this is Curtis from the dad's married to doctors group. Question for you. We are five years into the 10 year student loan repayment process for my wife's student loan debt. I know there's a lot of those loan forgiveness programs that are out there. We didn't research those when she was first coming out of residency. So now five years into a 10-year process, are there any programs that we should consider? Is it even worth it to look into those loan forgiveness or repayment programs at this point since we're about halfway through? Once again, this is Curtis from the Dads Married to Doctors group. Thank you so much, buddy. Bye-bye.
0: Curtis, thank you so much for the question. I'm excited to have your questions on here. So Curtis is a buddy of mine. He runs the Dads Married to Doctors group on Facebook, 3,000 like-minded dads that are all married to physicians. It's an amazing group, and uh, I'm I'm so happy to be a part of it. So Robert, how about you take this question first? I'll let you go.
2: Yeah, I mean, so once you are five years down repaying your student loans, it is really hard, just like Ryan and I just touched on to change course. And so if you want to research into the forgiveness options, the quote unquote best program out there is public service loan forgiveness, which is 10 years, 120 qualifying payments. So if you're on a 10 year plan Going for PSLF at this point in time, you're hoping that your five years could retroactively count, which we don't have enough information to say if it will or not, but you're not going to really get any public service loan forgiveness because your balance will likely be paid off when you would potentially get forgiveness. Uh the only exception maybe is if you might move or change careers and you're going to do something for a lifestyle. In that case you might look at something like the Health Service Corps, you know, where you could go to a, you know, underserved shortage area and you could get some repayment assistance with your loans potentially, but you would have to do that as a lifestyle choice for you and your family and you didn't really bring that up and, you know, those are 3-year commitments on average, so, you know, you're just so far along the line that I don't know if changing up anything that you're currently doing would make a lot of sense for you. And I don't think there's any better option out there for you unless, uh, Ryan, maybe you know something behind the scenes here that I don't know. No, I mean, I'm going to
0: take it as uh, that I don't know Curtis, even though Curtis and I are buddies and, and I appreciate his <laughs> question. Uh, but but looking at it, so a couple things, and you mentioned another one, but you know my wife is from Kansas and Kansas has a program where it's like if you work in an underserved or rural area for a certain number of years, then X amount of dollars would have been forgiven or your whole balance would have been forgiven if you'd gone to school inside of there. Every state probably has some form of this. Maybe not everyone, but
2: there's a lot out there. I'll tell you, yeah, 46 states do have some form of that. There's like four like, that don't for whatever reason, but most of them do.
0: Yeah. And I, I know that there was a few and I couldn't remember the exact number. so thank you. So maybe in your state, Curtis, or anyone listening that's in this type of situation, there is something there. But again, it's a life style choice. Looking at it and just seeing the details of what you've kind of presented, I'm a little worried that you either didn't consolidate or your wife didn't consolidate during residency, during training and basically have direct loans. You're probably at the period where you could have had these uh, fell loans, the FFEL loans or other type of loans that don't qualify into basically public service loan forgiveness and now that you're 5 years into the the thing, your balances if you even if you've been making income-based repayments, it doesn't matter what program, your balances has probably been going up. And so I'm now, I'm a little worried that you're a little too far into the process and you probably need to look at refinancing. And I'll have some resources over on financialresidency.com slash resources if you wanna go take a look at some of those. But I'm a little worried that you couldn't actually get enough benefit from the program. If for some reason you Actually, have direct loans, and you could qualify if you just had submitted the certification form. Now it's a whole different ballgame, and I think that you know going back and doing that right now is critical, um, especially with all the stuff that's been going on with Fed loans and misinformation and losing stuff. Uh, you know, they're not not the greatest. I, I know everyone's got their war stories. Uh, with them. Right. (laughs) So, you know, go back and and certify like that is your most biggest priority right now, today, go and get everything certified up until literally now and figure out how many payments you would have into there. But if that isn't available, you might be looking at needing to refinance and actually having a, a more concrete debt payment plan. Yeah. So let's jump into the next question.
4: People often talk about the speed at which student loans for medical school should be paid back. Often it seems like the magic number is within five years. We have a large debt load, 400000 just based on the medical school that was attended out-of-state tuition and everything. And we're also doing public service loan forgiveness. But my husband's in a really low-paying specialty. And so we're at that number of, do we put all our eggs in the basket of hoping that public service loan forgiveness pays off our loans as our debt load obviously increases with interest? Or do we refinance that massive amount of money and hope that we can pay it off in that that five-year time span, um, which is a lot of money for us to pay off in a short amount of time in a low-paying specialty, even if we do live as residents. So I'd just be interested in knowing what what your recommendation is in terms of do you really push for one or the other with some of those parameters?
0: Chrissy, thanks so much for your question. I'm excited to get into this because as I'd mentioned before and and several times throughout all the shows, my wife is in a lower paying specialty. And if we had a larger debt load, like 400,000 it would have been a different ballgame. We definitely would have prioritized working for a 501c3. We probably wouldn't have made moves to like Las Vegas, knowing that there wasn't really any work here in that kind of realm. And we probably would have stayed in San Diego working for UCSD or something like that. And to be honest, if it was that drastic, where you know maybe the salary level is 170 thousand a year, 150 thousand a year, and you had 400 thousand. It wouldn't matter if somewhere offered you an extra 30,000, 40,000, 50,000, because ultimately the amount that you're going to get forgiven would significantly outweigh that. And if you've been doing that through training and you're you know, three, four, year, five years in, then there, it would be no reason to get out of that to go take a little bit more money currently. So, Robert, I'm curious to see what you kind of say about the public service loan forgiveness happening or not. But, you know, looking at her second part of the question, talking about refinancing the debt and pay it off in a five-year timeframe, like, I love the aggressiveness of wanting to eliminate the debt. I don't know if that's realistic. I don't know what the salary range was um, and expenses and things like that. But that might be a too big of an aggressive goal based on the specialty. If it would be different if he was a surgeon or anesthesiologist or one of these other, you know, radiologist high paying uh, specialties. But with the debt load so high and just looking at it from a realistic standpoint, public service loan forgiveness, I think it's going to be around. I think if we would have talked a year ago, I would be a little more nervous. Now we're starting to see a few trickle in, still not a lot. We'll see some more over the next coming months. But you know, if you're a few years only into PSLF, you know, four or five years, you still have a ways to go. You're going to see a lot of people getting that forgiveness. And if it's not happening, which I probably lean in maybe like a 10% chance of it not happening, um, then you're going to know with enough time to still make a, a change. But, you know, Robert, I'm curious, what do you think about uh, PSLF and putting all, all her eggs in one basket?
2: Yeah, I'm 100% with you. I don't think the the refi is going to make any sense. I think your income would have to rise substantially in terms of, You know, being able to aggressively hit that, reduce that debt in five years. And at the same time, if your income was rising that high, your qualifying income driven payments would rise substantially, too. Mm -hmm. So I, I just don't see that happening. I think it's best to double down on PSLF. I think, like you said, I've seen people I've actually seen the like you've been approved for forgiveness notices. And so that is great to see. I was just pulling up this stat from uh, Fed Loan Servicing. This is as of September of last year. There were only 640 people that uh, should have gotten their loans forgiven in 2017, according mm-hmm. to who submitted their Fed loans. And in this year, there's 5,388 people that should be seeing PSLF forgiveness this year. But that's based on who's certified every single year diligently. I know there's a lot of people that haven't certified and stuff, so. The bulk of people, though, we start seeing that number rise exponentially over the next two to three years. And so I think you know the program will still be there. All the proposals from the current administration are all about future loans, future loans that come out after 2019. So I think if you have your loans today, I think PSLF is is very safe for you. I put the risk at less than 10 percent for current borrowers. Um, I put the risk very high, though, for future borrowers. I put the risk at 75 to 80 percent that the program will go away. I just see it happening for future borrowers. For Chrissy though, there's two things that I think she should really make sure she's doing is she needs to go back to all of her PSLF loan certifications and ensure that everything is 100% filled out. Cross all your T's, dot all your I's. I would make sure that she has physical copies of every certification for the last five years, I would ensure that FedLoan, I give them a call and make sure they have them. And if they don't, I would make sure she's sending those certified mail to FedLoan with a return receipt so that she has proof of mailing and proof of delivery, making sure that she has a copy of them. Um, I would also keep all the documentation. So I don't know where she's working, but if she's working at a 501c3, I want you to go to the IRS website, get their 501c3 certification or their HR sometime have it. I would keep that in your file because all the problems I've seen with PSLF typically involve the loans, you know, certifications getting lost. I also see a lot of people not on the correct repayment plan, not having the correct loan type. Um, So just making sure that you have a qualifying repayment plan, IBR, pay as you earn, repay, any of those loan types, or sorry, any of those repayment plans and making sure you have direct loans. You don't have the FFEL loans that uh, you mentioned before, Ryan. So it's just really like, you're going to double down on PSLF, but you need to be like super diligent on ensuring that everything is done correctly with it. That's really great advice. Uh, that's my first tip. And then my second tip is, as your income grows here in the next couple of years, um, it sounds like it was, if you were even thinking about a five-year time frame for repayment, I'm guessing you're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. You're seeing some income growth. I would look at as many possible ways to reduce your adjusted gross income as possible. Uh, solo 401k, IRAs, health savings accounts, whatever you possibly can do to reduce your adjusted gross income today, I would do that so that you can maximize public service loan forgiveness. You know, especially if you're having this Extra money coming in, your income's rising. Reduce, reduce, reduce it as much as you can, so that you get the maximum value of public service loan forgiveness.
0: Yeah, that's great advice. And I just wrote an article about how to qualify for public service loan forgiveness, and and inside of there, it was, uh, you know, it, it even changes the way you invest. So, yep. you know, putting the max, you know, eighteen thousand five hundred into your your four hundred one ks or four hundred three bs, depending on where you work, right? And you're working on a five hundred one c three, so should be a four hundred three b. Most of them even have a 457 attached. That's another 18,500 that can go in there. You have IRAs, you have HSAs. So there's, there's a lot of different options if you're not just W2 and you actually have some 1099 income, like, you know, then again, opening up a solo K makes sense. The other thing that I would look at is I would be putting away the money that you would need to be, if your standard repayment, let's just say was $2,000 a month, but you're currently making an IBR payment or repay payment of uh, $800 a month, that $1,200 difference, I would actually be allocating that to savings. I wouldn't be actually spending that money. I would actually pretend that you're making the standard repayment. And that is maybe a little tip talking about Vivek's question. Um, another little tip I would do is, is to save that money because now you're just boosting your investments and your savings rate. You were already supposed to be paying that anyway. And even though you're doing PSLF, Um, as your repayment strategy, if that program fell out, uh, for whatever reason, you'll have a pretty good nest egg behind you that you could start throwing a ton of money into it, if for that off chance of, you know, 10% or less that Robert and I had mentioned. So let's jump into the next question.
3: My wife is almost finished with her intern year. Uh, We just refied her student loans, we have less than 100,000 balance. We refied with SoFi. They give us a minimum payment of $100 a month of interest through residency. And so my wife wants to pay more to the tune of 300 to pay down the principal. And I'm wondering if it's better to just pay the minimum payment with SoFi and invest that extra money into retirement accounts, Roth IRA, something, or if we should put all that towards loans and just try to pay that down as fast as we can.
0: Mike, great question. I'm going to let Robert uh, jump into the
2: first one here. Yeah, definitely. So, should you pay more or invest? It's probably like one of the biggest dilemmas that I always hear when it comes to dealing with student loan debt and planning for the future. And so, kind of my order of operations that I I kind of view this as is I would definitely make sure that you have an emergency fund that covers your expenses first. And then I would maximize your tax advantaged accounts. So, whether that's a a Roth IRA, um, a 403B, 401K, whatever that looks like for you. Beyond that, I would start throwing as much money as you can towards eliminating those student loans. That's kind of my my quick strategy for should you pay more and invest. Ryan, what do you what do you think?
0: I literally get this question <laughs> by all the time. Right? Every prospect, every client, every acquaintance, as soon as they figure out that I'm a financial planner that works only with physicians, this is literally the first question that's asked. I think it's fascinating. So I even wrote a whole like 20-page white paper on it. You can go grab it at (laughs) financialresidency.com. It's a little e-book down there, uh, middle of the page. But this question to me was a little bit different because if you noticed, he refinanced... During residency for his wife's loans, it wasn't after. So clearly, okay. obviously, they're not going for a PSLF. But they refinanced after, and Sofi's doing. You know, and a couple of these guys, you probably know better than I do. One
2: dollar a month payments and stuff,
0: right? Yeah, and so he's doing this hundred dollar a month payment through yeah. residency. So obviously, the interest is occurring interest, and because they're giving them the break, uh, like you would pretty much have in an IBR type thing with a federal loan it sounded like the, the payment is $100 a month and $300 or $400 is probably the amount that they should be paying. I'm looking at I, I agree, max out your Roth. I definitely think more money getting into the Roth setting at this point in your career, you're going to look back 10 years from now and be like, dang it. Like, it's so yep. hard to get money <laughs> into the Roth setting and I'm paying, t- like, there's just a lot more stuff going on. So I would definitely commit to maxing out yours and your wife's Roth accounts. 5500 is current for 2018. After that, I would be trying to actually pay down the minimum on this debt so it's not increasing. Now I'm assuming a couple things when I say that is that your rates are not variable; they're not two percent. I'm assuming that they're you know probably closer in the five, five and a half percent range. So I would say at least make the minimums, then start going back and backfilling some of your stuff, but I, I get it. Like as residents, your salaries, you know, in the 50 to 65,000 range, I don't know what you do as a, a living, you know, but combined income I'm guessing is not going to be, you know, the normal 150 and over household income for a physician family. So try to prioritize some of your savings, into the Roth setting first. And then I would be actually pushing as much as I probably could into your debt to, to eliminate that with the goal. If especially if you're below a hundred thousand dollars of paying it off within five years.
2: Yeah, that should be a totally doable goal as well. Mm-hmm.
0: And, and we don't know the specialty, but a first-year resident, they, they have at least a couple years more to go, and then um, you know, depending on fellowship and all that kind of stuff, I mean, if she ends up doing that. So, yeah, I, I think realistically within five years out of training with a below $100,000 student, that you, could, you could crush that within five years pretty easily. Yep. So let's uh, go to our final question.
5: Hi, Ryan. I actually have two questions for you. My first question is my husband and I have a savings account and we've been able to put a little bit towards that. I've been able to work throughout his medical school and residency. And so we do have some money that's just sitting in an account. So I'm wondering, should we start knocking out some of that student loan debt, start paying that off? Obviously, we would not be able to make a huge financial commitment to that. Probably the bare minimum is all we could really afford to put towards it. Or are we better off waiting until after residency? And my second question is, um, if we are better off waiting until after residency to start knocking out some of that student loan debt, what should we be doing with this savings that we have right now? I I hate seeing it just sitting there in an account and not growing or doing anything for us. And so um, we've been able to create a few Roth IRAs, which has been fantastic. And we're grateful that we've been able to do that, but we would like to do more. So do we set up some education funds? What would be most beneficial for us at this point in our lives? My husband, we still have a year left of residency, so we can't make too lofty of uh, financial commitments right now, but we definitely want to be doing something more than what we're currently doing and any guidance would be greatly appreciated.
0: So Kaylee, thank you so much for your question. I absolutely love that you guys are thinking ahead and doing this during training. So to kind of quickly recap, you were working while he was in med school and now in residency you guys have accumulated some savings and you actually started Roth IRA. So great job on actually thinking ahead and investing. I'm making the, also the assumption that you don't have any consumer debt. If you do, that is absolutely the first thing I would be getting rid of. I know getting out of residency, it's literally just, you know, trying not to blow up your finances this is all basically residency is. It's kind of funny and it, it but, but not at the same time. So if you guys are coming out of training with no credit card debt and actually funded Roth accounts, you're way ahead of the curve. So great job there. If you guys are now looking and saying, okay, should we pay off debt while in residency or should we wait? I think it depends on the type of loans that you have, the rates of the loans. I mean, there's a lot of general assumptions that Robert and I are going to have for this one, but looking at it, let's just say that it's a 10 year fixed and it's uh, 5%. I would do some kind of combo, whether you can save in some other tax advantage accounts and get, continue to getting money in your retirement accounts. Remember time in the market is better than timing the market. So getting as much money as you can working for you for the long run is better. I would not prioritize educational funds and it sounds a little selfish and and I don't mean it to be, but you can finance your kid's education, right? Obviously we're talking about student debt. Like you can finance that. You cannot finance your retirement. So make sure you guys are taken care of first and that you guys have a really solid financial foundation before you start worrying about education for your kids. I know that you guys don't want to overextend and that you still, while in training, have a little bit of salary that you can continue to save. I think that your behaviors of of doing that are amazing, and I want you to keep that up everything changes once you're done with training. So just get through training, put money away into Roth, try to, to add a little bit more to your retirement accounts. If you happen to max those out and your Roth accounts, then I'd be looking more at your student debt. And I wouldn't really be focused on educational stuff until basically everything else is taken care of.
2: Yeah, Ryan, I couldn't agree more with you. I think uh, you said it best. Uh, I love that phrase is that you can get a loan for school, but you can't get a loan for your retirement. I also view paying for college. There's so many different pie slices that um, your kids can potentially get. You're going to have your own savings. You're going to have your own income in the future. Your kids might have their own savings. Your kids might have their own income in the future. There's scholarships, there's grants, and there's student loans. Like There's so many different pie slices that your kids can get to pay for college in the future. You got to take care of yourself first. I'm with you, Ryan. Ryan, I think that you should maximize your, you know, tax deferred savings vehicles. I also just want to make sure you have a solid emergency fund too. Like too often I see, you know, an unexpected event could happen that could derail your, your training. You might have to take a six month break. And then how are you going to support yourself in that period of time? If you get injured, even outside of work in a car accident or something happens, I'm making sure that you guys have enough to take care of yourself today and then tax deferred savings and then go hard on those student loans. Yeah, solid
0: advice. And I, in emergency savings, is definitely critical. And I look at it as three months is is the absolute minimum, more likely six months. If you're in training, I know getting to six months is going to be pretty tough, but I would still try. And then as you leave training, you're in attending. If your job is extremely secure, you can pair that back down to three months again. You can even turn around and invest that money into short-term bonds or high-yield savings. There's all little things that you can do with that. But I agree, Robert, emergency savings is critical. And I I can't believe I forgot I left that one out, but uh, we do make mistakes (laughs) here, so...
2: No, it's I mean, it's just one of those things like I just hate to see it happen. It's Mm -hmm. never no one likes to just see their cash sitting in their account like you and that's kind of what I got. You know, she said like she has this balance in her account and she wants to do something with it. And it's like, you know, I I, some people I I know sometimes I like hate seeing the cash there. But it's like I know if something were to happen, you're going to be so thankful that the cash is there. You know, Mm, that's
0: a good problem to have. I'd rather see cash, though, than not have the cash available. So it's a good problem to have. Well, Robert, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. And if you could just recap, uh, let let people know where they can find out more on the student loan debt movement um, and the Facebook group and all the great stuff that's happening.
2: Yeah, so if you want to check out the student loan debt movement, I would love for you guys to sign up and join and share how much you are going to crush debt this month. You can go to studentloandetmovement.com It is right there. It'll redirect you, get you right to the right spot. You can sign up. You can enter the Win the Giveaways. You can share how much debt you've paid off. You can maybe learn something that uh, Ryan hasn't already shared with you guys, but he does an awesome job over here. So I'd love to have you there. You could also check me out at thecollegeinvestor.com. We talk a lot about getting out of student loan debt to start investing and building wealth for the future as soon as possible. And we also have an audio show version, so you can go to the College Investor audio show on your favorite podcast listening app and you'll get our latest articles in a fun short format love it yeah i read the college investor
0: i support what you're doing i love the idea of this student loan debt movement which is why i've decided to go all in with you and create a ton of content this month all around student debt several articles are coming out and several podcasts are coming out just like this one with robert so robert thank you again for being on the show i really appreciate it great i appreciate being here thank you so much for having me this was a lot of fun well, that was a really fun format. And uh, Robert, thank you so much for being on the show and answering listener questions with me. I think that was a, a huge benefit to not hear just one person's take on the question, but to have some feedback in exchange with two people. So it was really nice to have you on as an expert uh, in student loans. And I encourage all the listeners to check out the student loan debt movement that Robert is hosting, trying to pay off a million dollars of debt in the month of March. Please go there, sign up, and report how much debt you're paying. I mean, you're paying a minimum amount. So everyone technically can probably go there and knock off at least a few hundred dollars. But Robert's trying really hard to hit that million dollar mark. I want to help him hit it. Student loans are very important to me. Um, I deal with them all day, every day. And I know that as a nation, we are increasing that student loan balance. So I want to help offset that and help him hit that million dollar mark. So go to collegeinvestor.com and check it out. I received about 25 questions when I put out the call to get you guys to call in with questions all regarding student debt. And I know I only had time for five of them on this show. I really appreciate you guys calling them in. I promise you, I will not forget about you. You will be on future shows, more groups, I consults coming in in the future, as well as some other podcasts dedicated towards student loans. I'm also creating a ton of content at the financialresidency.com site. We're going to be having blog posts come out around public service loan forgiveness, IBR, repayee, payee. Again, March is all about student debt. So there's going to be a ton of resources available for you guys. And if you end up needing to refinance your loans, go to com slash resources and check out what I have there uh, with some discounts with some of the big uh, student loan, private student loan refinancers. So have a great week and talk to you guys next time.
1: Thank you for listening to the Financial Residency Podcast. This episode is ended, but your financial residency continues online. Head over to financialresidency.com, where you'll find links to any resources mentioned in today's episode, along with other valuable tips and information that will help you regain your financial freedom. That's financialresidency.com.